0: Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo.
1: And I'm Drew Evans.
0: Well, we are finally at the National Championship Tournament. After an entire season of online mock trial, we are thrilled to be here to break down the field and discuss the case for the 2021 National Championship Tournament. It's been a long ride, uh, but we are finally here. And we couldn't think of anyone better to discuss nationals prep and the nationals field with us Then gurbir Singh uh from university university of california berkeley mock trial uh gurbir is one of the most successful witnesses in the country he's an all-national witness in 2018 2019 and 2021 uh he has witness awards at many other outstanding tournaments including shutdown showdown gamtee Great Chicago Fire. Uh, and according to rankings done by somebody on impeachment, I have no idea who, but seems official enough. Uh, he's one of the top ranked competitors nationwide this year. Uh, he's, of course, also uh, a member of UC Berkeley's program, who is one of AMSA's most successful programs. Uh, and we're thrilled to have him on the show. So, grabir thanks for coming to talk to us.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have
0: you on the show, and, and we're excited to have someone from the West Coast to, to talk about some of those teams and you know, get some info on, on you know some of those programs that maybe Drew and I's teams don't see as often. Uh, but for starters, we always ask our guests the same first question. We always like to know people's origin story for how they got started in mock trial. So I'll ask you that. Uh, what's your origin story, and how did mock trial start for you?
2: All right. Well, when I came to college, I did not plan on doing mock trial. I had done speech and debate in high school. I plan on continuing with that in college. And at Berkeley, we have what we call Sproul Plaza. And all the clubs in the first week of school give everyone you know, their pamphlets, come join this, come join that. And the vice president at the time, our one of our older competitors who's now graduated, uh, stopped me in my tracks by standing right in front of me. And she said, come to our info session if you are interested in any of these things. And I knew I wanted to go to law school. I had done competitive, you know, public speaking activities in the past. And so I was like, okay, let's let's go and see what what all the fuss is about. I went to that info session. I was very sick when I did my first round audition. I did my callback and I joined the team. When I first joined, I had no idea what Mock Trial was, and we had just moved to Slack as our messaging platform. And I (laughs) didn't know that I had to turn notifications on, so I actually missed our first ever team practice. But luckily, it sort of caught up from there. I learned on the fly, and my first year was definitely a lot of learning. And since then, I've sort of gotten into my groove and had a lot of fun doing mock trial. So that's sort of how it all started, as one person stood in front of me for the right time.
0: I'm going to take a little bit of a jump here, because we want to talk about your program, a little bit more in a second, uh, but I have one just sort of specific question that I wanted to ask you, and that's related to this year's Orcs. So uh, I think we mentioned on the show, maybe on our last show, that Amta had live-streamed some rounds at Orcs, and and they had let teams know before week two that that was a possibility. Uh, You all were one of the teams that had one of your rounds live-streamed. And I was just kind of curious behind the scenes what that experience was like uh, and how you all felt about that, because that's something... I mean, Amtel Live streams the national championship and then releases it, but I, I'm not aware of any other time where they've broadcast a round that wasn't the national championship final round. So for you all, how was that experience and what do you think about it?
2: Uh, well, it was certainly nerve wracking, uh, particularly because I think, you know, uh, when you're on a Zoom call, you know exactly how many people are on it. Like when we were in the, in the final round in Chicago, obviously there were a lot of people spectating, but we knew how many people were on the call and watching us, right? But with the live stream, we had no idea who was watching us when it was going on. And that, it, it was weird to think about, but I actually talked to Brandon Harper about this. He was sort of our, our to rep in that room about how this was such an amazing opportunity to take advantage of the online format. You know, Duke is a phenomenal team and it was a phenomenal round. I had a lot of fun. And I think it's a it's an amazing chance to get one of those really, you know, high Level rounds of really good mock trial at the end of the season when people have really thought the entire case through, and you get a chance to show that to everybody and make it available. Especially since it's a case that everybody is familiar with. I think one of you actually mentioned that. I think it was a really wonderful opportunity, but it was certainly nerve wracking knowing that there would be people watching, and we we had no idea until afterwards how many people there were.
0: Yeah, I I think that's such a great point. Like I know, you know, we were we weren't one of the rounds that was live streamed, but during round four. Uh, you know, we were in, you know, a bid determinative round. And, and of course, at that point, there's nothing I can do. So I watched a couple of the uh, the other rounds and it was super interesting to me just getting to see, you know, these are these other incredible teams and just how differently people approached things and how, you know, just the different witness approaches and theory approaches. And, and you know, I hope, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm hoping that Ampta is going to leave those up or, or make them available for some period of time because it feels like you know, getting to watch, I mean, you guys versus Duke. I mean, that's just an amazing round. And I feel like that's something that could be a resource for teams for, for years to come.
2: Yeah. I mean, someone, when when I was a freshman, one of our our competitors in the A team, you know, she was insanely successful at the time. She was a witness too. You know, she told me one of the, one of the ways that you will learn what great mock trial is, is by watching other really great teams. And, and I think that is certainly held true. Every time we go up against teams, in my opinion, there's always something to learn from the round and from what happens. And when we're in person, there are a lot of barriers to getting in and watching those rounds, uh, just logistically, right? You're traveling across the country, maybe, especially if you're on the West Coast, and a lot of those top tournaments are out on the East Coast. So in I think one of the you know silver linings of being online has been the ability to get a chance to see those teams, to scrimmage against teams, compete against teams that you normally wouldn't see. And I think that live streaming that round was sort of an extension of that new ability that we found by being online.
1: Well, I couldn't agree more. I think that it's, it's just such a cool thing and such a great resource for people to have. And I hope people that are listening to this, hear what you're saying, Gerbier, and, and they're understanding, okay, you know, I want to get to that level. I need to watch these rounds. Um, you know, I think it is uh, like such an important thing, but I I think one of the things that makes it most interesting to me is because of this year and the format that we've all had to adapt to. And obviously, UC Berkeley has had tremendous success. So I wanted to kind of transition us to that and and kind of ask you, what do you think you guys have done most to adapt to this online format? And what do you think has been most successful about it?
2: You know, I think adapting to online was definitely very, very difficult. Uh, From the very beginning, you know, last summer when we knew this would happen, a couple of competitors or coaches or team, we were all getting together, trying different things out. You know, how does the lighting look here? What, How high should your computer be in the frame? Should you stand or sit? And I think a lot of those uh, little things that were sort of overlooked when we did mock trial in person became really, really important because you are no longer just one person in a room and, you know, your judge might be sitting 10 feet away from you. They're on your screen and you're on theirs, right? So I think that has been a really big difference to get accustomed to in knowing that every movement you make, every reaction you have is much bigger, it's much more noticeable. And I think another big part of it that if if I were to speculate, I think has been a big part of why our team has been successful this year is because we've put a really big premium on trying to build that team connection that you would normally get when you're physically together, right? Practices together, dinners, traveling. All of those things that offer you a chance to be around each other in, in a non-mock trial, you know, a non-formal mock trial setting, getting a way to do those things. And, you know, I absolutely adore my team. I think they're some of the greatest people, no bias intended, but <laughs> getting to do those things, I think has made a really big difference and helped us kind of survive the transition online and the super individual uh, style of mock trial and of just life that has kind of emerged during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a great sentiment. I think it's something hard for a lot of teams that are probably younger to, to foster that type of camaraderie. Um, but you just mentioned the individual side of it, and I'm glad you did. Uh, obviously, you've had tremendous success as a witness. So I'm wondering what you personally have done um, to kind of adapt as a witness. You know, obviously, eye contact is one thing that jumps out at me as being very different in this format. So what do you think you've been doing differently um, to adapt as a witness in an online format?
2: I think you you're you're kind of hitting the nail on the head there where I think the one of the biggest differences with being online is that it's much harder to read the room because you know the room is camera off and and hidden away. So it's it's made a really big difference in that regard, but I think one of the benefits is that everything we do is is much bigger scale. So it's your communication wherever that might be, especially for witnesses, right? Cuz you're you're really trying to tell a story especially during a direct it's in some ways a little easier to get that sort of very direct attention and make sure you're getting directly to communicate with people because you're bigger on their screen. You're not just a person, like I said, in the courtroom, you're right in front of somebody on a computer that's like less than a foot away from their face. And I think that adapting to that has meant keeping that in mind about hand motions, demos, facial reactions, voice modulation, all of those things every difference is much more pronounced i think when we are online and on zoom than it is in in person and there has to be a lot more thought put into those things i think
1: so the the last thing i kind of have been curious about specifically regarding uc berkeley is is kind of your style and i think ben and i talk about this all the time on the podcast we kind of allude to it some people are more open to it than others. But this idea of kind of individual styles, whether it's regional, whether it's based on a team, but what do you think? Do you feel like you guys have a a specific style that you guys go after that differentiates yourselves from uh, either the East and East Coast, Midwest, South, or even just among other West Coast teams?
2: You know, I think there's definitely regional differences in the way that we approach things, right? Like, I think uh, a lot of people note that some teams and some regions are more you know very direct on cross for example or maybe their witnesses are not as sort of out there and wacky but i think one of the biggest things that we've tried to really focus on and i think has worked is letting you know your people drive your style and seeing how people do mock trial what their most comfortable and authentic self is and how that translates and how you can use that and harness that to create a cohesive image i think that that is in my opinion, more important and and a bigger sort of question than just a, like a school, a program by program, or even a region by region style.
0: Yeah. I I think that's like, you know, the the regional differences, I mean, they, I do think they exist to some degree, but, you know, I mean, we have these discussions all the time about like, you know, like, do we want to call that like okay for example I'll, because we're done with the the last case so we were running a battery um and uh we called danny francasio on plaintiff and and based on the numbers that was a fairly rare plaintiff call um and the reason the sole reason was i didn't have someone to play the sad witnesses that i felt like was compelling enough to play the sad witnesses and did the sad witnesses give me more information that I would have loved to have yeah definitely but i was like i have someone who i know can play this character and i'm not as sure that i have someone who can play this character and those types of decisions of like okay let's do what fits us even if maybe it's you know like you don't want to you know put a square peg in a round hole and and then you just don't end up seeming authentic and comfortable in in round and i can say from you know, it's been a couple years since uh, we faced you all at, at Nationals two years ago. But that's one of the things that I do think stands out about uh, you guys is I feel like, you know, when I watch Berkeley competitors, that, that you're doing what, you know, feels comfortable to you all. And is that something that you all talk about, you know, in, in your prep? Like, OK, how do we do this in a way that it's going to seem authentic to who we are as people?
2: You know, we try to. It's hard. Like you're mentioning, there's always this incentive. To, to think about also, you know, what are the facts and what facts can we get? Where does it hurt? And those are definitely also very important parts of the consideration. But uh, the way that I think about it and something we try to do is what, what you're saying about really looking at what is comfortable for, to people, what are they able to do most effectively, and using that in addition to thinking about facts, case theory, argument, when we make those decisions, because I think, it, you know, you do best when you are comfortable and confident. And I think that's very important to anything that you do, whether it's mock trial or you know, sort of beyond that.
0: Yeah, I think that's right, and I think it's it's something that, you know, I I mean I think MTA does a good job of giving us a wide variety of witnesses to play, especially in, in the main case. But it, it's always a challenge to sort of find the right fit. Uh, but you know, I, I mentioned the main case, but of course we've moved on from that case, and we're now working on the Nationals case. So, you know. Gurbir, you all have been working to uh, prep the nationals case so so have we and uh, I'm curious how that how that's going you know we've talked on the podcast before about just the unique challenge of prepping the nationals case, how intense it is, um, how it comes at, at a particularly challenging time of year often for students academically uh, at the end you know a, a, of a long tough year so how has it been going for you all and and how are you feeling about uh, NCT prep so far?
2: You know, I think that uh, a friend of mine from the team described nationals prep as sort of a, a sprint that doesn't end until the tournament does, and, and I think that's a that's a very fair way to characterize it because you sort of get the case and you have a couple days to make decisions that with the main year you would spend maybe even a week on, and then you have you know one week to get material written that you would spend a couple weeks on with the with the you know main year's case, so it's. The truncated timeline, I think, really pushes pushes us to our limits to see how far we can think, how how flexible we can be about how we think about the facts. And it certainly is really tiring, you know. I, I was talking about this before before we started the recording, but just a week ago, I, I did a presentation of my thesis. I have a lot of edits to do to it, but it, that sort of has to go into the back seat for a couple of days as we really ramp up and do that last bit to prep for Nats this coming week.
1: I could not agree more with that. I mean, I am not even competing this year or coaching or doing really anything. And I, I can feel the stress through this this podcast, mic and headphones, <laughs> how stressed you guys both are. And I know that everyone else out there is feeling it. Um, we've all been there or or, you know, I guess those of us that have been fortunate enough to go to nationals have been there. Um it it is extremely stressful, weirdly satisfying at the end of it, but it is something that I certainly can identify with and, and I couldn't agree more about that. I, I'm sure that all of our listeners right now, if you're listening, you're probably taking a brief respite from your nationals prep to listen to this. But don't forget to get some sleep and, and you know take care of yourself in these coming days and weeks.
0: Yeah. You know. I drew you saying that, and, and Kerber, you, you saying that as well. It, it called me back to, I remember in in LA in twenty seventeen, the first time we ever went to nationals, and I had a chat before opening ceremonies with the late uh, Dr. Frank Aluza, who was at the time president of AMTA, uh, just you know nicest human being in the world, and he was just congratulating us and chatting with me, and and he asked me what I thought about the the new case, um, and like that that process, and you know, that, that was a tough year for us. We were, we were a team. We didn't really expect maybe to, to be there. And, and so uh, it was, it was just a really demanding process and, and I've certainly continued to experience it that way. And we were talking on the mics beforehand before we started this episode about burnout. Uh, And, and, you know, I'll be very honest that I am so, so burnt out. Um, And am I excited to be, com- you know, having a team to compete at NCT? Of course I am. I, I'm incredibly excited. We've been working hard, but you know, Gurbir, I don't know, you know, as a student, I mean, you you know, you're working on your thesis and I assume thinking about what comes next and, and you know, what's that balance like between being excited to prep uh, for NCT and being excited to compete at NCTs, but, but also just, you know, trying to keep that energy up for the end of what has been a very long season?
2: Yes, it certainly has been a really long year. And I think that it's a, the finding the balance is you have to be very active about it. I think it's really easy to get lost in the, we just finished a scrimmage or a particularly effective practice where we noticed this new fact. And now we have to talk about X, Y, Z number of things and how we address it and edit this and edit that. And I think you have to just sort of say, where is the line that I draw about today? Where is the line that I draw for tomorrow? And what are the really hard goals that we want to set for ourselves? I think that has been what we're trying to do, trying being the operative word here, and I definitely think it's it's difficult for me, and I think I can speak for the people on my team at least, we are tired. it's It's been a long year. It's a busy t- time in school. But it is also really exciting to get to compete at nationals. This is uh, my second time at nationals. It's going to be my last time at nationals and graduating. so And I think for me personally, a big part of the excitement comes from the fact that, for example, you know, me and... Uh, uh, my two other witnesses, the three of us have been competing together for three years now. We were we were together the last time we were at Nationals too, and now we're all seniors looking at our last tournament ever. So I think that is definitely a big driver of what is making me feel really, really excited about going to Nats, but it is definitely sort of enveloped in this feeling of the never-ending to-do list.
1: Well, speaking of Nationals, uh, I think that's what everyone's here to listen to, and, and let's let's go ahead and dive into it. Um, I think we're going to kind of transition now towards this roundtable style kind of all of us sharing our thoughts on uh, just this Nationals field and what it's looking like. And we have two divisions, so we thought it would be easiest to kind of break it down that way. Um, and so let's let's start with Division 1. This is, of course, the division that has both UMBC and UC Berkeley, so both of your teams are here. And I thought I would kind of start out with this prompt. Um, for each of the three of us, uh, and Goobir, we'll start with you first – but what is a team that you think is kind of uh, maybe underrated or just that you're expecting to outperform their TPR in division one. Um, and, and in particular, what I'm kind of looking for here is teams that we've maybe seen uh, actually go um, and, and outside of just their results, but from our own observations, you know, this team really is, is solid, they do something really cool over there. I expect they're going to be really successful. Uh, And and not to pigeonhole any of us, but obviously with you being on the West Coast, if you do have insights onto any of those teams um, in Division One, that's looking at UCLA, um, yourselves in Cal Berkeley, um, and then also UC Santa Barbara, uh, you know, any of those three uh, or actually Portland, too, is really on that West Coast. Um, But any thoughts that you have kind of an underrated team or a team that you think is going to outperform their their TPR, and I'll send it to you first.
2: All right, being put on the spot here. thats <laughs> um, what we do. Uh, in terms of, I think, like the first division, there's definitely a lot of really amazing teams in here that there's obviously talking just about the West Coast in particular. UCLA is always an amazing program. We had that amazing round with them at Chicago. Phenomenal team, great people. And also, you know, we haven't seen UCSB in a while, but the last time we saw them, they were very talented as well. And so I think... Thinking about the teams in this division, I think UCSB is definitely going to be really great. I think also some of the teams that I've seen this year that have been really amazing, like Duke and Tufts, uh, you know, it's no surprise that I would say they're probably going to have a pretty great run this weekend. I would be remiss if I didn't mention us. I'm hoping we'll have a really great run. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the same holds true for UMBC, but I think like in this division, there's a lot of great schools. Shouldn't West Coast, I've never personally, I think, had the chance to compete against Portland, but we were in the Seattle Regional a year ago, and the Pacific Northwest does not play. They do very good mock trial. Um, But I think that if I had to say one or two teams in here that I think will probably overperform, uh, I would say just from my orc, even Chicago B had a really great run there. And I would say, you know, I, I hope maybe it'll be us shameless plug
1: (laughs) fair enough sure that that orcs round isn't the only round you hope gets live streamed this year that's the plan (laughs) all right ben well i'll send it to you next who do you think is gonna outperform this year from well
2: first i'll
0: I'll clarify in this show there are no shameless plugs like all plugs (laughs) we we endorse all plugs um but i you know it's funny like I there's a couple names on here that sort of stood out to me. I agree with uh, Grabier's analysis. This is just a great division. Um, we're going to talk about division balance at the end, but there's just you know a lot of teams that I that I don't particularly want to face, which is unfortunate because we'll have to face four of them, um, and that certainly includes you know the folks at, at UC Berkeley. Um, Grabier mentioned Portland. Uh, I in a couple episodes ago sort of mentioned being curious about how the Pacific Northwest was going to fare this year, given that I think they even more so than teams like uh, Berkeley or UCLA or Stanford uh, probably don't get to go to invitationals as much uh, in a regular year, just given how few of them there are up in the Pacific Northwest and how far away they are from everyone. And Portland had a very strong showing at Orcs and it's had an excellent season. So I would not be surprised at all to see them, you know, sort of surprise some people. Uh, I agree about Chicago B. We hit them at regionals. They were stellar. I certainly could see them making some noise in terms of overperforming TPR. TPR. Uh, and then, you know, I mean, there are not to sort of go over teams that we've discussed a lot, but you have South Carolina at 51 and Florida State at 74 in this division. And I think Drew and I have discussed plenty of times that we think both of those teams are significantly undervalued by TPR right now, given that they don't have... You know, anything from last year or this year in that ranking, I consider those to be, you know, top 30 caliber teams, given and we all we got to watch both of them. Those rounds were they both had live streamed rounds as well. And uh, they're excellent. They're really good. So uh, that's not to say there aren't other teams on this list. I mean, I mean, part of the challenge of doing this analysis is like I could say good things about all 24 teams in this division. Uh, But those are some of the ones that sort of stand out to me. Uh, Drew, what about you? What do you see from this?
1: Look, I, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but this division to me just seems so tough and so difficult. I, I kind of went through and was trying to figure out, okay, if I had to expect what 10 teams are going to make it through, and I was looking at that, and then I was looking at my list, and I was like, oh, my God, but that doesn't include you know, this amazing team. H- how the heck is this going to work? Um, I think if I had to choose a team, like I think you guys have both mentioned ones that I totally agree about. Um, I think those are a lot of the names that pop off the list for me, too. Um, just something that we haven't mentioned, though, I think Northwestern is having a really, really good year. I think they've looked really strong. They are really scaring me. Uh, I think Northwestern's going to do really well. I mentioned Duke on the last episode. I think Duke's been phenomenal. Uh, and what I think is so crazy to me about this is that, to me, the stretch of Northwestern—sorry, uh, Berkeley, Northwestern, Duke— Tufts and UMBC, which obviously is both of your two schools in that. But I feel like those five are all like really, really good. Like I think all five of those teams are teams I'm expecting to place in the top ten. I think those are all teams that could be making a run at the at the the you know, the final round. And yet that is the fifth through ninth ranked teams, according to TPR. Like there are four teams that are supposed to be better. And I'm like, that's just wild. Like, that's just insane. And it just goes to show how tough, uh, this, this di- division is going to be. Um, I agree with a lot of the ones you guys cited lower Chicago B, Florida State, um, South Carolina. I also think Penn State, um, they've been really solid this year. Like, it's just, it's brutal, man. I do not envy either of the two of you for being stuck in this division. Um, but, uh, let's, let's go ahead and move on to division two. Um, and I'll, I'll go back to you, Grabir. Do you have any teams that are sticking out to you here in Division II? Um, Again, our, our West Coast teams, um, not to prompt you or anything, but we have UC Irvine, <laughs> UC San Diego, um, UCLA B, UC Davis um, as our teams out there. So any of those um, or any others sticking out to you?
2: Well, there are. UCLA B, for example, is always a a great school, great program. I think we competed against their B team last year, who surely has changed, but they never cease to impress. Um, And I think especially, uh, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Davis. We compete against them a lot. We see them at least once or twice a year. Um, And they're always really great. They're very smart. They're really great at what they do and the way that they do mock trials. So I wouldn't be particularly surprised to see them overperform, you know, their TPR, I suppose. And we recently saw UC Irvine, too, and they're in great shape as well. So I I think that there's a lot of great teams in this division that I'm excited to see kind of what shakes out after this coming weekend.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. Gabir. I'm actually curious about something, uh, since you've mentioned this, you know, once or twice now. So I feel like you all and UCLA you sort of not get lumped together, but you know, I mean in terms of California schools uh, I mean you guys I think are are sort of considered to be like the top uh, group and like your your TPR sort of merits it out and your your finishes at Nationals merited out what's the and and when I say relationship, I don't mean like you know like personal stuff or anything like that, but you know I mean you all had that incredible round five at Chicago uh, you mentioned the participants on there I was one of them <laughs> um because I would have been foolish not to be. And uh, so what's that like sort of having this these two, you know, really incredible West Coast teams, uh, you know, sort of in each other's backyards? And, and how do you feel like the dynamic is in terms of getting to compete against one another and go into a lot of the same tournaments during a normal year? Like like what are your just general thoughts on on sort of how those two teams interact with each other?
2: I will say in a normal year in particular, when we're maybe two of the only, if not two of a handful of West Coast teams at those top East Coast Invitationals. Uh, it's really exciting to see either of us do well. It's nice to see some representation of the West Coast. Uh, and in terms of our, our relationship, UCLA is an amazing program. We have a lot of folks who on our team who know people on the UCLA team from high school or from the past and uh, that fifth round and the times we've hit them in the past too, like last year, the year before that. It's always a lot of fun. They're extremely some of the kindest people that I've met in AMTA at least. And it's always a lot of fun to hit them because they're always stellar, well thought out, always very interesting. And so, you know, I don't, I don't love to have to go against them, but I think it's, it's a, it's a really great program to be with if you want to be lumped with somebody.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I mean, like (laughs) it is, UCLA is who they are for a reason and, and same, same for you all. Um, In this division, Drew, to sort of jump on your question, and then then I'll be curious for your thoughts. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of great candidates in this division. Uh, I will go all the way down to close to the bottom of the list for two teams who are in our backyard in Maryland College Park and George Washington, um, who I think both, you know, it's really interesting, actually. Last year, if I recall correctly, last year, Maryland College Park, uh, either, I think they might have missed out on a Nationals bid on a TPR, or not TPR, uh, a TPR. CS tiebreaker. Uh NGW was set to take the fiftieth spot. Uh there were, you know, they there was still a chance they could get bumped out of it by the last three orcs that didn't happen, but they were set to go to NCT last year to take the 50th spot opened up by Loyola. Um, so I almost consider these to be like nationals returners who I think would be ranked higher if last year's TP you know, if there was TPR from last year. And I just think they're both excellent. Uh, I think that they uh almost certainly will overperform their TPR, and I'll be fascinated to see how they do. Um, and then, you know, again, not to just like talk all about East Coast teams, but they're the ones that I know a little bit more. Uh, Lincoln Center. Uh, Lincoln Center's at 38. Uh, it was a shock when they didn't break last year. We talk about them a lot, so I won't, you know, sort of belabor the point. But in terms of, I you mean, know, their TPR ranked 38th, I think they're in the bottom 12 of this group. And that is not a team I would have any interest in seeing uh, at Nationals, given the their ability to put together clean, strong cases. And I have to imagine that would be something that would benefit them at nationals. Uh, so Drew, I'll kick it back to you. You asked the question, what do you think about this division?
1: You guys keep stealing all the good ones. I mean, hey, well, you know, you know. Uh, I- I'll say that I think that I agree with a lot of what's been said. Um, the other one that's kind of sticking out to me, and I don't know that this is necessarily um, underrated from their TPR, but maybe more underrated based on expectations. And that's Northwood. Um, I know we've talked about them a lot, but I feel like there are a lot of question marks. Um, they just graduated some of really strong members, but also this is a Northwood team that, you know, kind of barely made it out of regionals. Uh, I do not think that encapsulates the strength of this team. I think Northwood is probably still going to be a top 10 team in, in this division. I think that Northwood is just still really good at what they do. They still have a lot of experienced members on that team. and I think that they're really, really solid. Um, I think that the biggest thing that's just going to be tough about this division is a lot of unknowns. You know, we, we again, you know, one could have some questions about Northwood, but you've got Stanford and Michigan, both of which were their, their B teams made it through. And so there's maybe some question as to whether um, that's going to be the A or the B team making it. actually moving on. Um, Cornell, who obviously had a really strong showing at Orcs, um, just because their program didn't exist last year, that lack of experience, you know, maybe people are, are looking at that. Um, but it's just tough. It's tough to really tell what's going to come out of this division. But I do think that a lot of the ones that we've cited already are likely going to be very, very strong contenders towards the end. I think, you know, when you've got a, a division that's got Chicago and Yale, um, you know, you're know, you always expecting the two of them to be in it at the end. So I think this is going to be a very competitive one. But I, I agree. I think that it's just, you know, we just don't really know exactly what to look for from a lot of these programs. But I think that Northwood, Lincoln Center, GW, Maryland, um, UCLA, B, UC Davis, those are all teams to be on the lookout for, for sure, um, as they may maybe will be exceeding some expectations.
0: Yeah, I, I think that what I think, honestly, sort of my last thought before maybe we talk about the, the top teams and who we think you know maybe will end up in that final round is we've said before that the season's kind of wide open, and I think that very much extends to Nationals. I, I think this could be a year. Like, yeah, it's possible that, you know, we could see Miami defend their championship, or <laughs> we could see a team outside of the top 25 TPR win the National Championship. I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility, at, you know, at all, just given, you know, how this year has been and and how teams are are adapting to the online format. Uh, so, Drew, do you want to take us to talking about the top teams?
1: Yeah, no, I will. Uh, so essentially what the next kind of topic for our roundtable is going to be, and this is not need to be necessarily district or sorry division specific, but just kind of what do you think is the team uh, most likely to win it all or at least be in that final round? And since we started with Gubier last time, uh, I'll kick things off this time, kind of move it around. And I- I'm going to start by just saying this. I think what Ben was just saying is really true in that this year experience is to a certain extent out the window. And I think that still knowing how to prep a case in a month on that type of preparedness and that experience absolutely is worth something. But I also think that because of this online format, I think every team kind of started at the same place um, to a certain extent at the start of this year. Um, A lot of prior experience is still going to help you, but... Figuring out how to make this work in an online format is going to make a big difference. And that, for me, is what's going to determine this. And I think I'm looking at teams that have been really successful in this format to make those runs. So, for me, I mentioned that last time Duke, you know, just because of how successful they were just at the start, I really expect them to do well, considering how well both their teams did at Orks. I think Duke A is a team I could see in that final round. I think both UCLA and UC Berkeley, I'm going to say it now, Gubir, I'm taking it out away from you. I think both of them have shown real prowess at this format. I think that both of those two teams could easily be ones to win it all. Um, but again, I, I think Ben's right. I think this is really wide open. I think anyone could do it. You know, whether you agree with what they did in the last Nationals final we had or not, Yale is yet to miss a final round in the last five times we've had a National final round. So it's fair to expect that Yale's going to be there at the end. Um, but I think my my kind of flyer one is Duke, just considering they're a little bit lower-ranked TPR. But I think that Yale, um, UCLA, and UC Berkeley are the, are the three that I'm, I'm really looking and I expect to be in that final round. So to reverse the order up, Ben, I'll go to you second. Who are you looking for in that final round to win it all?
0: Yeah, and I think obviously I'll um sort of give the caveat and, and you know, you know Gurbir, I, I don't know how you'll feel about this too but but you know we're obviously both affiliated with teams that are competing at nationals so like nothing in this is to suggest that any teams you know that we don't mention are not excellent because like there's just 48 phenomenal teams at at this tournament uh I I mean I will say first of all UCLA and UC Berkeley I just I agree on both of those. That Chicago final round was was spectacular. It was it was truly just an amazing round of mock trial. Uh and I have talked about both of those teams throughout the season as teams sort of to sort of keep an eye on. Uh I'll mention Chicago. Uh we hit Chicago a at Chicago. Uh and you know, I mean, I think I I get why someone might think, you know, Chicago's an amazing team, but they're sort of You know, like maybe without Regina Campbell, they don't have what they need to just get all the way to the top. I'm not sure I buy that. I think they're incredibly well-rounded. I think they're very talented. And I think they're, you know, like I'm not upset that they're not in our division because in terms of teams that I expect to be creative with three and a half weeks of prep, they would have to be pretty high up on that list. Uh, So I certainly think they're a team to keep an eye on. Beyond that, I just think... Like, you know, we haven't even really talked at all about Miami or UVA. Uh, I mean, you like mentioned them here and there, but like at the end of the day, if you said to me, I have to choose someone, I mean, I guess I'd probably go with one of the two of them because they're Miami and UVA and and they have the infrastructure and the talent to, you know, really be ready in in a short period of time. Uh, So I certainly think that that that's the case. Uh, And then just honestly, (laughs) there's just so many other teams on here that if the cards fall the right way, could make a run, you know, from someone like Georgetown, who I've said good things about before, uh, to, you know, a team like Irvine, uh, who, you know, had a year where, like we talked a moment ago about uh, UCLA and UC Berkeley sort of being those teams. But of course, Irvine is in that conversation too and was one of the top teams in the country not too long ago, and is still excellent. So uh, I think there's so many different teams to keep an eye on. And, you know, if I had to choose one team right now, um, you know, I might go Chicago, honestly. It's just a little bit of a gut pick. I just think that they play such a strong, precise style that that fares well at Nationals. Uh, Grabier, Drew and I have been talking for a little while. So to the extent that, that you're comfortable breaking down the, the top of the field, what do you see playing out there?
2: I now see why Drew no longer wanted to go last. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, man. It's tough. It is. It is. I, I will say to echo sort of what, what Ben was just touching on, uh, I think one of the greatest things about nationals is that you get to compete with, you know, teams who are really, really amazing. So every round is just, it feels really exciting to be in those rounds. That's how I felt two years ago. That's how I expect to feel again this coming weekend, since all of these teams who are here have fought very, very hard to be here. But, you know, I agree. I had a chance to see Chicago earlier this year. I don't think they were stacked yet, but they're a very, very talented program. Um, I would also say the same for at least in our division. uh, I've had a chance to see a lot of these teams this year. You know, Virginia, UCLA, Northwestern, Duke, Tufts, Wesleyan. (laughs) You know, I I feel like kind of like you get your pick, but all of those teams have just been so phenomenal. And I really think it comes down to, I, I think a big thing about nationals is what it comes down to is what happens in the round because. There's always something you didn't think about. There's always something you hadn't noticed or you didn't think would be as big of a point as as someone has decided it should be. So it'll really just come to down to those rounds and to what happens, you know, in the in those two and a half hours. But I think there's a lot of really great teams at the top who if you had to put your money on it, teams like, you know, Yale, UVA, Miami, that I certainly would not be surprised if they were in that final round.
0: Yeah. I think what you said about, you know, I mean, I guess that's why AMTA does this new case, right? Is you get the top 48 teams in the country and you challenge them to say, be ready to do this case in three and a half weeks and be ready to adapt to something that you weren't expecting. A fact that the other team flips, an objection argument that the other team makes that, of course, over the course of the regular season, get sort of just fleshed out and, 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 you know, a team starts doing something unique and then it kind of floats its way through the rest of the community and, and people learn to deal with it. And you don't get that at nationals. You get the scrimmages you can fit in, which is not a lot of them. And even that, you know, like teams are just, you know, like we scrimmaged uh UC San Diego yesterday, they were excellent. Uh, And I feel like I need to rewrite a whole bunch of stuff that, that we had and we don't have a lot of time for that. So I think you're right. And I think it's going to come down to, um, Who can adapt quickly and who's comfortable adapting, uh, which maybe does favor experienced teams, teams like Berkeley, where you all have sort of been around the block and and seen how this works. Uh, So we'll see. But I will say this. I don't make predictions very often uh, on this show, because if I did, they'd usually be wrong. But I'm going to predict that one of the two teams in the national final round is going to be outside the top 15 in TPR. Um, i don't know who it's going to be uh and i know that's like maybe not the most bold prediction in the world but we've seen a lot over the last couple of years of like the same small group in the final round and i don't think that's going to be the case this year i think we're going to see a team outside of the top 15 uh you know drew has talked about duke uh and you look at this list and and you know and maybe even a team like boston uh you know like i think that this is the year where maybe we see something like that uh Drew anything else about this field before we maybe chat about the divisions?
1: Uh no, I think that you both have really covered it. I think that I agree. I think Ben, your prediction, I I hope it comes true. I think it'd be great to see, you know, someone else in that final round. I think that you know, this has been a very different year, obviously, and I hope that it can be a pivoting point for us as a an organization where we start to see more teams penetrate that top pinnacle mock trial of what that is. I truly think it can happen soon. I think right now, as much as we talk about these top programs, I think that sometimes we almost put them on somewhat of a pedestal and, oh, there's just no way you could ever reach the status of, of you know Miami, UVA, Yale, uh, whatever. Um, and, you know, look, I think the fact that that Rhodes didn't make it to Nationals, I don't want to dwell on it, but they're one of those programs. You can't claim they're not. And they didn't make it to Nationals this year. I think that while I don't think that was, you know, I'm not trying to harp on that, but I think that is emblematic of the fact that good teams are, are on the rise and there are a lot more teams that are really close to that upper, upper echelon. And they're not as different and they're not as much, there's not as much of a difference anymore um, as people may think there is. So I, I hope your prediction is right, Ben. I hope we see a team outside of the top 15. I think that'll be a lot of fun. But I do want us to, to move on to kind of our final point that we're gonna round table discuss. and that is these two divisions, um, the balance of them and what they're looking like. And obviously, both of you have teams in division one. Um, but just kind of looking at it almost holistically as as a whole, um, what do we think about all, all of them as a whole, in terms of how balanced they are, whether one is stronger than the other, or whether one has a more top heavy, bottom heavy, middle heavy, whatever it might be. Um, since I've gone first once and gubir has gone first once, Ben, I'll go to you first. What do you think of the balance of these two divisions? Do you think one's better than the other or what do you think?
0: You know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I know that I saw some, I think it was either mock trial confessions or impeachments or or one of those where there was some people saying they thought Division One was a little bit stronger than Division Two. And again, this is a little bit awkward because we're in Division One. Berkeley's in Division One. Um, I think maybe at the top you can make that argument um particularly and i think this was a point that somebody made on impeachment so i apologize for stealing someone else's point uh but given the fact that in division two and that the the sort of top 10 group you have stanford and michigan uh who both got through with uh bids from their b teams and so of course we are not privy to what those teams are doing in terms of stacking decisions uh not to suggest that stanford b or michigan b are not like excellent excellent teams but you know, I mean, I think it just sort of logic would hold that it impacts whether or not you expect a team to maybe make the national final round or be in that that last group. Uh, if it's like, you know, a split stack team between A and B or, or anything like that. So, you know, maybe I think you can make a coherent argument to that effect. But at the same time, you know, like, I imagine like, okay, if they if I got moved to division two, and I was looking at the list for division two, Like, I wouldn't want to play a bunch of those teams either, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, like there's lots of teams in division one. Like, do I particularly want to draw Berkeley in round one? No, not because it won't be a great round. I think it'd be a ton of fun, but they're really, really good. And, and, you know, I think that's true for a lot of the teams on this list. Um, But I think what what strikes me about division two and why I don't think they're that different is I think division two has more of those teams that like they're, they're lower in the rank, but. they're they're I think they're really amazing teams. I mean, you look at a team like Iowa who got two bids to nationals last year, William and Mary, who's from our area and is always consistently strong. Um, You know, and then some of those, I mean, you have Minnesota and Wheaton right there in the middle, West coast, I mean, not West coast, uh, Midwest teams that, you know, it's really hard to know what to expect from those teams at nationals. So I guess I would maybe give the slight edge to division one, but, I just, I think at the end of the day, if you're going to get to the final round, you're going to have to play one, two, three of the top teams in the country. And that's true in either of these divisions. Uh, Gurbir, how about you? When you sort of analyze these divisions, uh, does anything stand out to you in terms of maybe weighing one over the other?
2: Uh, I think the the disclaimers that you give hold true. And I think my big one is you will never have an easy round at nationals, Mm -hmm. right? Like no matter who you hit, it will be a tough round and whoever fights harder wants it more and the cards fall right; they'll win and they'll move forward. Um, but I, I do think that there's a a feeling that whatever division you're in is the harder division. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that the point you make is it, it holds in my opinion that Division One I, I think has a lot of the teams at the top that, at least I personally have seen this year have, that have been really really amazing, and I and I expect them to do really really well and hope that they will. Um, and for Division Two, I think that there's more teams that I haven't necessarily seen and don't entirely know what to expect, which I think might make it seem like division two is inherently easier. But like I said, there's never an easy round of nationals. And um, one of my teammates, Jennifer, she always says, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And I think that will hold true no matter what division you're in.
1: Look, I think both of you are being very diplomatic about this and you don't want to seem biased because you're in division one. I. I I subscribe to everything that people have been saying about the imbalance. I think Division 1 looks way harder top to bottom. Um, I think that what you guys are saying is is well taken. I'm not saying that if you do well in Division 2, it's not well earned. I mean, look, Ben's right. You, you, and Kabir's and right, right. There are no easy rounds at Nationals. It's not like if you have 10 wins in Division 2, those weren't well earned. Like, yeah, that's tough. Good on you for doing that well. Um, if you, The team that comes out of Division 2 is going to be an excellent team. But... I think that you can't really uh, in my opinion you can't really say that these are apples to apples. I think that just looking at, at again top middle bottom I think you could say that there are teams in Division 1 that are just much stronger than the teams in Division 2. I think you look at the fact that Florida State um which is you know ranked 74th in TPR but I think most people have them as a team that might be in their top 10. Um You know, you compare that to the equivalent on the other side, which would be William and Mary. And William and Mary is an excellent team, Ben. I'm glad you mentioned them. I adore William and Mary. I think they're very good, but I don't think anyone necessarily has them um, at that same level. And and when you compare it like that, you start to see a little bit what I'm talking about here. Um, I think similarly, you look in the middle, and again, I pointed that before, but you look at like Duke, Tufts, UMBC, Wesleyan, Florida, Georgetown, like that chunk of middle teams that are all like. Potentially top ten teams, and compared to the division two, and you're left with a little more. Well, maybe I'm not sure if those teams are really going to be in the top. So, I think the division one is looking a little bit tougher. I think both of you are being very noble and diplomatic, and not making it out to be that way. That's not to take anything away from the teams in division two, but I don't think that they're necessarily super balanced. And I, I'm intrigued to see how it all works out. Um, you know, obviously. I don't think that the final round is necessarily predetermined. I don't think the team that makes that out of Division One is guaranteed to win. That would be foolish. But I definitely think that you will. That some of the more difficult teams are in Division One, and I think top to bottom, it is going to be just a little bit harder.
0: Yeah, I'll make one other observation, and then we can uh, wrap this up. I actually you know i mean yes i'm being a little bit diplomatic as you know i imagine garber may be as well just cuz we've got teams in this division and 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 that's you know sort of impacts things i i actually don't completely agree about that middle of the pack though because i think when you come over to the other side and you look at that middle group you see teams like irvine northwood uc san diego ucla b and lincoln center um and yeah the teams you listed i know my team was in that list and and there's lots of great teams i don't see a a, a jump between those two i think that like you know maybe i the only area in which i think division one has a slight edge possibly is at the very top uh and then i think from there it's just you know like it's it's a pretty even split and i think that there's a lot of teams in in that and we say quote unquote off middle group meaning like outside of the top like five or six tpr teams in a division uh, that i would have you know particularly no desire to see but either way it's going to be a great tournament and uh, to wrap us up, Gabir, I have I just sort of one more question for you, and this is a bit of a broad question, but obviously, I mean, you've been, you know, doing this activity at a high level for four years, and as you mentioned just a little while ago, this is your senior year and you're graduating, so uh, as you head into your final NCT and your final AMTA tournament, how are you feeling about mock trial in general? And, and you know, I, I don't know, and you certainly don't have to discuss, like, what your next plans are, but... Uh, this activity means a lot to a lot of people and you know, what are your thoughts on how you're going to feel about, you know, doing NCT and finishing up your AMTA career?
2: Just an easy one to end the episode, huh? Yeah.
0: I just love (laughs) softballs. That's what I do. (laughs)
2: Uh, I will say this. Uh, I think I briefly mentioned this earlier. I think one of the most, one of the things I'm most excited for with the, uh, with Nats coming up this weekend is getting to compete one last time with, with my, my team. I think this year has been really hard on people both personally and in terms of transitioning to mock trial, transitioning to online school. Uh, and I think that we have really tried to create a sense of camaraderie and support for one another that I don't think you can always uh, create if you set out to do so. It's, it's something that sort of just happens naturally with the right people in the right place. And so I think for me, one thing I'm really, really looking forward to is getting a chance to compete one last time with some people that I really, really care about. And I'm really excited to get to compete with them. And I think that I, you know, look forward to what mock trial can be in the future too. I think I had a lot of fun doing this activity over the last four years. And as somebody who came in with really no understanding of what mock trial was when I, when I first joined Berkeley's team, it it was a very steep learning curve, but I think one of the things I've enjoyed most is so many rounds that I have been in over the last couple of years have been amazingly competed rounds with some of the greatest and nicest people. I think that has been a real standout for me as I kind of look back on uh, my career in mock trial. Has been, I think it offered a really amazing opportunity to meet people that I don't know if our paths would have crossed otherwise. Because I don't know if I would have met people who, for example, go to UMBC if I didn't do this activity. Um, that goes, and that holds true for so many other schools, that especially ones that are uh, across the country. But I think that's my big thing. I'm looking forward to getting one last chance to kind of put it all on the line, and I'm looking forward to getting to compete with my team one more time before you know, I'm off to the races.
1: You know, Grabeer, that sentiment really like came home for me I think that it was really interesting my one experience going to nationals my big takeaway from it was that sense of camaraderie not just within my team who are you know a group of my closest friends in the world but with the competitors that I went against and the people that I met and it really is such an amazing thing and I I regret that nationals can't be in person this year because I think that that is in some ways lost but i'm hoping that it'll still happen and i'm hoping that it will still be that sense of camaraderie and, and and sportsmanship um that i've seen um in nationals past i think it's it's hard to explain to people particularly um teams that often go out at orcs but orcs is like this really stressful time where people are like so uptight and don't have time to like talk to other teams or celebrate with them but because nationals is you know, the end, and there is nothing further to go on. There's this sense of fulfillment of you've made it and you're there. And I think that that allows people to kind of relax just a little bit after rounds and kind of enjoy the feeling and enjoy being there. And I, I just am, I'm hopeful after hearing you say that, that we can rekindle that a little bit for everyone. And to everyone that is going to be at Nationals, I just hope that you can share in that sentiment and and hopefully make those types of connections. Because I will say that I'm still really good friends with a lot of the people that I met at Nationals and I still talk to them and and it's a really special activity for that reason. It's something that you'll have in common with these people that probably not going to have in common with most random people you meet on the streets. So it's it's a really cool thing to be able to get to go to and I'm just optimistic that we can find a way to keep it going.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll to wrap us up, you know. Uh, Gruber, it's so funny like I, you know, my ATM is competing at Nationals, has two seniors on it, Sydney and, and Thomas. And and they're students who've been with me for four years. And, you know, in the same way you've been with your program for four years. And, you know, I consider it an honor to get to go to Nationals with them. And yeah, I, I wish we were doing it in person. But uh that sentiment is just yeah, same as what Drew said. It it hit home for me because I think it's such a wonderful part of this activity to get me, you know, get to meet people. You know, I mean, Drew and I talked about this. Like, we just met in a random round where we were competing. I mean, I was coaching at the time, but like, and you know, here we are now, almost fifty episodes deep into this crazy thing. And and that's, you know, what you were talking about is is such a great, uh, just a, a great message for what this activity means to people. So, so Drew, to to wrap us up, I'll, I'll ask you this really quick, and and then we can finish up. Obviously, Grabir and I will be busy, you know, doing uh, things with our teams this weekend. Uh, what are you doing this weekend for nationals? You think you're going to try to. Uh, obviously, there's no scouting in rounds one and two, but you think you're going to try to catch any rounds,
1: watch the final round? What do you think? I will certainly enjoy sleeping um, on Saturday morning. Um, <laughs> but I think that my my goal is, is if some of the rounds are live streamed, I'll definitely try to take a watch. Um, I'm actually optimistic that I can convince some of my high school teams to come and watch a couple of rounds. I think there's obviously a pretty big difference between high school mock and college mock, but I also think that there's a ton that can be learned from watching this type of level. Um and so I'm optimistic that they'll they'll hop on and join me for a couple of those and definitely the the national final. You you won't catch me doing anything but watching it. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. But I'm definitely not upset that I can relax during this week while you guys are are in freak out mode. So enjoy that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, you know, we'll do we'll do the best we can, and of course, Gurbir, Thanks for coming on. It was really a pleasure to get to chat with you and and just you know sort of get your thoughts on everything. Obviously, uh, you know, best of luck to Berkeley as you all uh, you know go into Nationals. I hope you understand this as a compliment when I say we, I, I hope we don't have to face each other because I know <laughs> it'll be a great round, but a tough round. Uh, and thanks for coming on the show to chat with us.
2: Uh, thank you so much for having me, and and good luck to you too. And you know, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, Nationals as a chance to get to compete against some really great teams again and, you know, kind of cap this cap this four years out with, with a good feeling.
0: Yeah, I think that's the perfect sentiment. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, thanks, everyone, as always, for listening. This is uh, the last episode that we're going to release before... Uh, the national championship. And then of course, we'll have plenty of content to discuss once the national championship is over. So we look forward to being in your feeds very soon. Once we all make it through this weekend, Uh, best of luck to all of the teams competing at nationals this weekend. It's such an honor to be there. I'm so thrilled to be a part of it. And we just hope that everyone has a really wonderful and edifying experience from start to finish. Uh, Of course, we'll be there when it's all done to break it down until then. This has been the mock review. Ben and Drew.